And there I was on the other side of the finish line with a medal around my neck and being like, I'm just, I'm a regular girl. You know what I mean? I'm not super strong. I'm not super fast. And here I am. And I was just like, anyone can do this. As a woman who, you know, in in Ironman, I think we're about 20%. The field of women is about 20%. And half of a percent of Ironman finishers are African-American. And I was like, there's kids out here who don't realize that they can have this opportunity. And I'm a regular degla girl. So let's go. What do you want to do? Let's do it. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 41 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Doc Halliday-Golden is making a huge impact as a motivational speaker, triathlete, and coach, and truly lives to inspire others. Shout out to Shaney from the New York City On Running Store for recommending her while I was down there recording my episode with David Kilgore. Doc and her three siblings were growing up comfortably in the Catskills Mountains on 16 acres with an Olympic-sized pool and guest house, and life changed on a dime. Her father was sent to prison for 15 years. They went from home to home, living many nights without heat or electricity, often eating peanut butter and jelly soup. Despite these incredibly challenging circumstances, her mom would remind her to have a good attitude and be grateful for what they had. No doubt these lessons learned and experiences forged Doc's indomitable spirit and strong desire to help others. We talked a lot about the curveballs life throws us and how that presents us with choices. Iron Man, Maryland 2019 threw some pretty nasty ones. A 2.4 mile swim in very choppy waters, getting stung repeatedly by jellyfish, had her questioning, was this what I did swim workouts for all year and signed up for? On the bike, high winds had her break down 14 times in a crying episode, Riding a roller coaster of emotions, thinking, was this going to be the day where my dreams come true? Or worse yet, miss the bike cut off from all the extra effort required. But Doc kept pushing and overcame it all to hear those magic words Doc Golden, you are an Iron Man. Less than one tenth of 1% of the world population ever completes an Iron Man. Less than half a percent of those athletes are African-American, and less than a quarter of the African-American athletes are women. That is truly select company, and it changed everything. Doc wanted to show others if a regular girl like her could complete an Ironman, how could she help others realize what they are truly capable of? She left a successful 14-year career in marketing to become a motivational speaker. She has shared her overcoming experiences stories around the world at schools, churches, orphanages, and homeless shelters in Colombia, Mexico, Argentina, India, the Netherlands, Scotland, Finland, Australia, Israel, Burundi, and Kenya. Doc is a force for good, and I feel blessed that she came on and shared her powerful story. I'm so grateful for the positive vibe and lessons shared and hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen.
Good evening, Doc Holiday Golden. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? Good evening, Ron. I'm doing great, and I'm absolutely thrilled and honored to be speaking with you tonight. Well, the honor is totally mine. Um, this is awesome, and we were both kicking ourselves because didn't realize that we were like basically neighbors and we should be rolling out doing this somewhere live at a cool venue. But it is still a little bit crazy with Corona. We still got to worry about neighbors always giving you the funny looks if you don't have a mask on. So in truth, this is kind of the best of all worlds because we get to see you and hear you and you'll be out on YouTube as well. So we're, we're, we're going to roll with the best of it. We'll, we'll do a live show at some point in the future. Sounds great. So what, what have you been up to, man? What's new? What's recent? What's going on? What's new? What's recent? Well, we are moving forward with races, and that is a very, very exciting. And uh, I'm just trying to keep up and like, build my training back together um, and just kind of slowly ramp things up for me and slowly start doing some more coaching and getting excited. You know, there's there's a lot of unknowns. It's kind of a new situation around, but just getting everything back together, tightening up the machine, oiling it, getting ready to go. <laughs> I love it. Tightening up the machine is always a good thing because there's the physical, <laughs> there's the physical elements of it. And then there's the mental elements of it. And then you as an athlete, you have the one side and then obviously you do the coaching. Um, so that's another big piece. But um, generally how we always start our pods is a little intro for the Run Chats audience. Just tell everybody a little bit about where you grow up, what family life was like, and your kind of introduction to sports. Sure. Uh I grew up in Woodstock, New York. It's about two hours north of New York City. And I'm the oldest of four siblings, a very proud oldest, I might add. And uh, we grew up in a, in a really nice home, deep, deep in the woods. We had our driveway was a mile long. We didn't have any neighbors for about a mile around. And, um, and it was pretty peaceful. And I my intro to sports was pretty fast. I mean, as, as long as I can remember existing on earth, I was doing some kind of sports, you know, whether that was, you know, just started off just with a lot of playing outside and then started getting into more organized sports, which I thank my parents for, for giving me opportunity to test out a bunch of things and not just say, you're going to play this, you know, but just being like, you want to do some ballet, you want to do some you know, tap dancing? Do you want to do some gymnastics? Do you want to do some soccer? And giving me all those opportunities. And I pretty much just said, yes, 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 to every single one of them. And uh, yeah. And then later on, joined team sports in, in high school after playing everything I could play recreationally before then. That's great. I think we see um, so much going on today's, um, the youth of today's uh, kids that are out there getting involved is this, this tremendous uh, inclination to specialize, you know, kids playing lacrosse all year round, playing soccer all year round, um, even baseball all year round using indoor academies. But you, to me, that that stings and it hurts um, because I just know how much, although I was small and wiry, I was playing with my older brother who was twice my size and his friends playing football and getting the living shit beat out of me. You know, my nose bloodied, you know, hitting the ribs, hitting the shoulder, hit anywhere. And if I ever came back from the park crying, my mom look at me and be like, uh, yeah, if you're not tough enough to play with your older brother and just play with your own friends. Like, this is not a hard problem. You know, go back out there and play, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like, or you know where the band-aids are, you know? And 
you know, those, those different sports, like they're all so different to compete in and not just sports, you know, you're doing tap, you're doing ballet. So it's, it's movement and it's different kinds of kids. It's also different kinds of instructors. They have a different approach to things. So you're not just in this elite travel soccer team mentality where it's 24 seven. The only thing you're focusing on is how you're going to kick the ball, how you're going to get faster, what's your agility. And look, God bless, some of those kids are going to make it, right? Just like some of those kids are going to become a professional basketball player, maybe a lacrosse player or something like that, or a baseball player. But to me, I wouldn't trade my childhood playing all of it and being exposed to all those sports, even if I wasn't that good in some of those sports, because you know you just learn more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the great things for me, like where I grew up in, in Woodstock, there's so much outside space. Uh, and it's also very encouraged to do out, outdoor activities. So as a, at, like I went to a small private school and there was a heavy emphasis on outdoor activities, you know, so there was even so within school, there were the chances to try so many different things. And there were so many organized hikes and, you know, mountain biking and different things. Even when you're like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old and just starting to have those opportunities to to learn and express and test out the different sports avenues. I mean, it's wonderful. And it's it's the Woodstock, right? Where the whole rock and roll concert thing went on. It's that same Woodstock, right? Excellent question. So the original Woodstock 69 actually happened way out in like Rome, New York, Bethel area. And Woodstock 94, the revival was very much in Woodstock, like, well, technically in Saugerties, which was my town. And that's where that was, but it has all the vibes, you know what I mean? Like, and if you want anything related to the original Woodstock, you're going to find it in Woodstock, Woodstock. Um, even though the event happened way out there. Ah, so see, you just schooled me. I did not know that. Nobody Lo knows that. Nobody knows it except <laughs> you and the peeps who are from that area, Woodstock, Saugerties, all the areas. And like you said, it's further, you're talking about going further out, but I think it's um, also interesting what you talked about is um, all the outdoor activities that you were encouraged to do, hiking. It doesn't have to be sports related. We need to fucking be outdoors, humans. Get up off your fat asses off the couch. Just because COVID's going on doesn't mean you can't go out and exercise, okay? You need to do something. Walk your dog, take a hike, ride a bicycle, go to, you know, well, swimming was very hard, as we all know. A lot of pools were closed, you know, during COVID, but things are clearly loosening up. And I think, you know, I wonder, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, as these kids get their way through school, the ones that maybe were, you know, towards the end of high school or towards the end of middle school, or maybe even just starting kindergarten or pre-K and had these massive changes that really no one wanted. The teachers certainly didn't want it. The parents didn't want it. The kids didn't want it. I don't think there's a person out there that said, hey, this is what we want to do. I want to quit my job and start homeschooling my kids. This is really what I signed up for when I got married. Eh, wrong answer. If anybody's going to be honest, they're going to tell you, no, this shit is out of control. This is not what I want to do. Okay, what's up? But you you grew up in that outdoor activities and, and look, it, it encourages a lifestyle, man. It stays with you, okay? And you don't even have to be, you know, a great volleyball player or a basketball player or some other sport. It's just, hey, man, you're outside. Just be active. Yes, be active. Move. 
That's what we like to hear. Yeah. So cool stuff. So take us to, um, you know, so growing up, you know, you were involved with lots of stuff. Did you have a favorite sport in like high school? Like what were the high school, like college years like for sports? Okay. So my, I, I kind of skipped over. I did gymnastics for several years and that was a, actually quite a big part of my life pre high school. Um, probably about five, five or six years. And it was very competitive. Uh, I, I trained five days a week, four hours a day at a special gymnastics training school, um, in Albany and, uh, had a kind of a crazy Russian coach as many great gymnasts did. And, um, you know, thankfully took that very seriously and did a lot of competing and traveling to compete in everything. Um, but so that kind of got me on the, like, semi super competitive track and like having like the feelings of a team what it means to be a part of a team and then in high school um i i started doing track and field which was definitely game changer a life changer uh and i did volleyball for a couple of years really just to do another sport like i didn't know much about volleyball but it was in the opposite season as our outdoor track season and i was like oh this is this looks like fun. And so I did that for a couple of years and uh, wasn't great, but had a good time. <laughs> Come on. It's fun. I mean, when we used to play volleyball in gym class, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. If we ever got a chance to spike a ball or do anything, it was always great. But the rest of it was like, we were terrible, man. And my <laughs> high school girls team was like undefeated for like some ridiculous, like maybe like seven years in a row. So like we just had a, a, we did a huge high school, really, really big in size and just killed it. Um, for girls and boys sports. So going back to your gymnastics days, rocking all those hours at the academy, I'm thinking of like Bella Caroli, you know, and all the coaches that came up, you know, from the Russian I block. Bella Caroli. Yeah, yeah. I, for a, I spent uh, a summer at a training camp with Bella Caroli for a little while. Unbelievable. I just like pulled that out of the air. It's a miracle. I mean, I usually can't, I can't remember anything in my life, but you know, Bella Caroli, I remember, you know, him rocking it, you know, coaching, was it Nadia Comaneci or was he Olga Corbett? I can't remember which one, but he coached a lot. Yeah, of them. he did. He coached a lot of them. And so who was your favorite gymnast when you were, when you were doing your gymnastics days? You know, I don't have a lot of favorites in life. Like there's just, there's so many great things about every different athlete, you know, one has this, one has that, da, da, da. Um, and not just in, in sports, but even with music, people are like, well, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? I'm like, I like food. I like colors. I like athletes. Um, I did particularly look up to uh, Dominique Dawes and Kim Zemesco because they were killing the game when I was in it. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, these girls are fire. They are strong. They are dedicated. They fall down and get back up again. They are focused and, uh, and, and they were winning goals, you know? So I, I would put them on the, on the top of my favorites list. <laughs> I mean, look, gym, gymnastics is, is probably, it's at the top of everybody's Olympic favorite sports to watch. It just is. I mean, the energy is so high. I mean, they're so strong. It's crazy. I mean, I don't care what they compete in, the women or the guys. I mean, it's ridiculous. The guys on the rings, their backs are like, you know, chiseled Vs. And the women, their their quads are like, you know, like a hundred meter sprinters, like muscle power. And their waists are like this and their shoulders and arms. I mean, they're just so 
fit. They're so strong, just like you said. And if if they do fail or have a bad event, you know, they come together. You see the whole team come together. If it's like, a you know, when they're doing the group and the overall competitions, obviously they're trying to win their own individual medals, but it's uh it's intense and it's also cool variety you know everything from the floor exercises to you know the balance beam man it's 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 crazy I hated that balance beam i mean who would like that man i ain't going you couldn't pay me to get on that thing man i ain't going on there i think <laughs> i had knew one gymnast in my life who was like i love the balance beam and that the only one and but like for everyone like that was just a the the fall factor you know it was just like the beam is four inches wide. There's a lot of room for error. Yeah. I mean, seriously. And if you take a fall off that thing, it's not going to end well. I mean, it's just not. I mean, there's just a lot of broken bones waiting for you. And if you're a guy and you happen to fall, I don't even want to think about what could, what could go down. It's it's not pretty. So yeah, gymnastics in me, nope. The only way I was going in that room was just to check out the girls. That was it. Oh, you know, boy. check them out in their leotards or whatever and be like, okay, yeah, we're going to peep the girls for a little while. All right, we're out of here. Okay. Back to back to reality, but uh, yeah. good stuff, good stuff. So, what about in high school years? You start getting involved with track and field, and obviously, it's like a game changer. You said, did you have at that age a favorite coach or a favorite teacher? Like in high school, anybody who was like a real mentor, or somebody you looked up to, or somebody you connected with, or not? Because a lot of times it's a no, but sometimes there's like somebody that they're still connected with today. I always love to ask that question. You know, I didn't have. I, I, I sadly, I didn't have a good track coach. I wanted to be a part of track and field because I was learning about track and I, I, and I like to run and I like to jump and I like to look like there's so many different track and field events of, you know, different areas that you can develop skills and perfect them and excel. Um, and, uh, but my coach was, was sadly lousy. He was, uh, he was lazy he was monotone. He was very apathetic and kind of careless. And he didn't do anything with us. And, um, you know, so those are, that was not great, but I had a good team and there was a, like, I learned things from my teammates and I learned things from people around, you know what I mean? I was like, I want to learn about this. Let's go learn about it. Um, and then my, I had some good teachers. I did have some good teachers. I respected people that were respectful of other people, you know? So if, if a teacher cared about their students, you can tell that very quickly. Like there are teachers who are teaching so that they can have paid summers off. And there are teachers who want to change the world and want to make impacts in people's lives. So I gravitated towards those teachers and really treasured teachers that took time to invest in me as an individual, stayed after school, spent some time with them, always, always, always wanted to learn as much as I possibly could then and now, you know what I mean? I was like in every situation that I'm presented with, like I didn't go to school because I had to go to school because I was a child. I went to school because I loved school and I wanted to learn and I loved people and you know what I mean? And building relationships and learning about all the different subjects um, and it's sad to me sometimes when I meet kids who are like, I hate school. I'm like, oh, school. Yes, there can be challenges at school. There are there are not nice people and there are not nice teachers. But you also have an opportunity to find the nice people and the teachers and to get the most out of it that you can. Like, even if you have a bad teacher, 
you still can learn, but you're going to have to bring your own share to the table, you know? So that's, that was kind of my outlook in school. That's it. I mean, there's so much in there to unpack. Um, what you let, what you said last is a great lesson to learn because, um, in life, um, we've got a lot of helicopter style parents these days that are, you know, trying to do it all for their kids and trying to make sure they get into an Ivy League school and cheat the system, game the system. You know, they've got SAT tutors, they've got all this stuff going on. But the reality is, you know, you got to carry your own weight in life, man. And when somebody throws you a curveball and you're a dead fastball hitter in life and you want to play baseball and you want to go to college or make the major leagues, guess what? If you don't learn how to hit a curveball, you ain't playing. It's not going to happen. And if you can't hit a changeup, you can't play. So when these things happen to you in life, you've got to learn how to roll with it and adapt. So if you get that teacher that just comes in front of the room and is just a jackass and doesn't connect with any of the students and has a certain style... That's that's a skill in life. You got to figure it out. It certainly isn't easy when you're high school age or college age, but if you can figure out, okay, I'm not going to be cancel culture like bolt and run. Okay, I'm changing professors right away. Maybe I need to dig in here and figure out if I can roll with this professor. Maybe I can actually suck it up, tough it out, and I'm going to learn something about myself. So I think you know, what you shared there is a really important lesson for all areas of life. It's not just athletics, it's life, man. It could be your boss, it could be a colleague, it could be somebody who's trying to mess with your own success in a work environment. Hey, you know, you may need to leave, okay? You may need to change professors, you may need to change majors or get an advisor to give you counseling, but sometimes you gotta just suck it up, okay? And that is, I mean, that is also actually like, as you're saying it like that, I'm like, Exactly, because that is the story of my life. I've had a lot of curveballs. They wanted to hit fastballs and had a lot of curveballs thrown at me from the very beginning um, with my family and different challenges and my living situation and switching schools and, you know, homes and not homes. And it was so you, you got to be ready. Like, this is our life. What are you going to make of it? <laughs> I want you to dig into all of those things, each and every one, but not yet. Because first, I, I want to go back one more step because I just, I really want to know the answer to this question. So your track coach um, may, have been, may have been a good person, but just like teachers that are there for the paycheck, like you said, or to get tenure or to get summer vacation, that's life. I mean, we're not always going to get a coach who actually cares about coaching the baseball team or lacrosse. That's a fact of life. That was a lesson you learned. Do you think it came back and influenced you because now you're coaching with Empire Tri Club. Now you're a coach and you're having a chance to put an imprint and your mark on athletes that you work with. Do you think that experience led you to want to coach yourself one day, whether you even knew it at the time or not? That's so interesting. I, I haven't actually thought about that because I don't, I don't like, I think I'm him. I don't think of him as an influence in my life at all. Like, positive or negative. Like he just happened to be the guy who showed up at the track workouts. And if I, if I went back in time and I'm surprised because I'm, I'm pretty outspoken. Like if I want to ask you a question, I'll ask you a question. And that's how I think people should go through life. If you want to learn something, you have a question, ask, but uh, I would ask him, why are you coaching? Like you clearly don't want to be here at all ever any day. Like, why are you doing this? But I didn't. Um, but yeah, I honestly, I don't think it really impacted my decision because 
I always want to learn as much as possible and give back twice as much. So I, I was gonna, I was kind of going down that path of leadership and giving back and pouring out whatever I've got, whatever I learn to coach or share, whether it's friends and informally or it's formally for clubs. Um, I, w- I was going down that path with or without him. And I'm like, his lousiness just led to his own <laughs> misfortune. And I was going the opposite way. I I love the answer, though, because many times, you know, if we have a parent or parents who drink a lot or, you know, we're involved in drugs, we're the opposite and we're just never, ever going to go down that road or we repeat the same mistakes and end up, you know, going through and having those same kind of challenges in our life. So similarly, you know, when you have a great coach or someone who really encourages you, you're a great writer, doc, you know, I think you have real talent. You got to pursue this. You need to continue and develop your writing skills, or maybe it's art or whatever, you know, you're, you're an amazing in math or in science. You got to continue to hone the skill and develop it. But sometimes it's somebody who doesn't perform and doesn't give us what we need that literally triggers us to say, you know what? I'm going to do something about this shit. I'm going to do better. I'm going to show kids like what could be. And you're not coaching like in high school or community, but you're doing triathlon for adults, right? It's you're with Empire Tri Club, right? Yes. Um, I have, I have been coaching adults for the past five years and interesting. You mentioned it. I just started coaching high school students a couple months ago. And um, Love because of the pandemic, it's been virtual, but I am working with uh, Tri-Latino, which is another local triathlon club. And they are the only tri-club in the tri-state area, to my knowledge, that has a high school triathlon program. So I, it's, it's been uh, probably actually the highlight of 2021 is for me to have an opportunity to work with high school students preparing them for their first sprint triathlon. I didn't even know what triathlon was when I was in high school. Like I learned about that in college and was like, this is amazing. How do I, (laughs) where do I start? How do I sign up? Um, And crazy, but I was like, this is for me. But I love that. Like some of my girls are freshmen, like 14 year old girls and getting to talk about triathlon and how to prepare for it physically and mentally and emotionally and the different crossovers in life from everything you know that you learn from triathlon. So that's a new fun thing in my life. I love it. A new, a new discovery, a new, a new added item onto your list. And just something so cool to impact high school age kids is, is really amazing. Um, they're so young, like I said, at 14 years old, they're so impressionable. And to have somebody who's um, done this and rocked Ironmans and, and finished you know, epic races and gone through that journey. And you could share that with them, um, whether they're doing a sprint or doing one that's all indoors, you know, in a pool and on an exercise bike and on a treadmill. I don't care what it is. It's three tasks that require a lot. Okay. And very different, you know, physical, you know, skills to complete and you better be determined, you know, to get the job done. So that's, that's super awesome. But now I want to take you back to all the environment stuff. You're growing up, all the other stuff. Cause Lord knows anybody who follows you and anybody who's heard you speak knows you have an incredibly interesting, diverse background and have been through some amazing challenges in life. So you got the floor, girl. You can take it in any direction you want and we'll, oh, roll, we'll roll with it. So let's go. Okay. Um, 
Wow, sometimes the floor is just too wide. I'm like, any direction? I'll help you. I'll help you. You know, once you start talking about something, we'll we'll continue. Sure, sure. We'll keep yeah. it moving. I mean, I guess I'll start to kind of, you know, one of the the bigger things that impacted my life and also one of the biggest curveballs and also greatest influences. My father was in my life for the first few years. You know, like I remember my dad being around when I was four, five, six years old. Um, and we lived in our nice little Woodstock home, my dad, my mom, uh, and my younger siblings. And, um, and then my dad made some poor decisions and was, was running from the law for a season. And so he was less in our lives and we would see him on occasion, very strategically, um, have to kind of plan things out. And, you know, we're, we're very open. Like he was always very open with this and, you know, and I'm certainly very open. It's part of my story. And how, how old are you at this point? Just so I have some context. Sure. So, I mean, when my dad started running from the law or running is a strong word and also <laughs> an ironic word, but when he was avoiding the law, um, I was probably around seven was when he was not six and seven. He was not home very much. Um, and because it's, this is such a different world these days, um, he, he was selling marijuana, which at the time was almost punishable by death, right? In the 1980s. And, um, and that's, that's it. He wasn't a part of any other kinds of drugs or anything, but he was, he was selling marijuana and didn't, uh, wasn't around anyways. So, um, he was for years, we were just secretly seeing him. Sometimes it would be upstate New York, or it would be, you know, at a campsite here or there, or sometimes we would go to other countries and like my mom would bring us, we'd meet him in Jamaica or we'd meet him in Cuba. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a wild, crazy, exciting little childhood. Um, and when I was 12, so from seven to 12, he wasn't living with us, but we would see him when I was 12, he was arrested. Um, and he was sentenced to, I don't know, 20 years or some, something extraordinary for selling marijuana. And, um, and that's when things started getting really, really hard because my mom hadn't been working. She was now a single mom with four kids with no income and no nothing. Um, and also minimal education. My mom didn't have, a, you know, a great education. Um, and even if she did, she's got four kids by herself to deal with now. So, um, yeah, things things got really hard. We moved from our big, beautiful home with 16 acres and, you know, an Olympic swimming pool and uh, a guest house and all these nice things um, to moving into a smaller home and then a smaller and a smaller and until we were ultimately homeless. Um, and that was all starting to just rapidly decline once I was in high school, just trying as everyone is at, at, in high school, just trying to, you know, figure out who you are and what you love and where you want to be and excel in sports and do what you're doing. And we were going from home to home and, and many times didn't have 
food, um, many times weren't able to pay bills and weren't able to pay for a heating bill in the in the winter. Um, and it was it was hard. But even in that, like, I'm really grateful to my mother, who, as things got harder and harder and very unfair, as life can always be, um, would remind us to have a good attitude to be grateful. Like if we didn't have anything but peanut butter and jelly and no bread, and we were just going to make a soup out of it, be grateful for that. Or if a neighbor left crackers on our porch, you know, or some veggies or something, be grateful. We had something and and not anything. Um, and always encouraged us to, to, to read the Bible and to have our perspective right and focused and, and positive. So, uh, there's some of my curveballs. I'm just putting it out there. Um, and yeah, so learning to roll with those things really helped me, my whole attitude and perspective, like I was saying towards school or life, like there's going to be kids who like you and there's going to be kids who don't stay away from the kids who don't and move on. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to let these things destroy you as they will, they will try to, people will try to destroy you. Children will, some teachers will, you know what I mean? Some neighbors, like we had neighbors that um, liked us and were kind and shared food when they knew we didn't have food. And there were neighbors who wanted nothing to do with us, but we just had to be grateful and play. My siblings play with each other, do what we can do um, and stay positive. That's a, that's a hell of a story. And, um, what a great lesson from your mom. Um, because a lot of people in that situation would just give up or be so overwhelmed, um, that it'd be like feeling sorry for themselves to be in that spot. You know, husband's away. He's not there anymore. He can't help with money, but also co-parenting and just being there for, for the four kids. Um, so she's there in this overwhelming environment, stressful environment, like, and is not choosing to drop the woe is me card, like, oh man, the world is unfair for us and all this other stuff. No, she's like, be grateful, be grateful for what you have. We don't have bread to put our peanut butter and jelly sandwich on, but we'll, we can still eat this. It's still okay. Or vegetables, like you said, from neighbors. But I mean, that's, um, that's amazing. So kudos to your mom, man. It's impressive. My mom was always like, share what you have. And like, sometimes we would have so little and she would share with people. And I didn't, I didn't despise her for it, but I was shocked sometimes. I'm like, we barely have this, but okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, And that also definitely changed me um, in just for the rest of my life to be mindful, to, to share, even if you have little, like if you have, two pair of running shoes and you don't wear one ever. It's just like, like, it's one thing if you're rotating between shoes, like I get that most runners do, but you also probably have a pair from last season that may not have gotten totally, you know, 500 miles on it. Give them to somebody. Um, and just, just simple stuff. You know, I mean, I I remember in, in, uh, like in college, I, I listened to a lot of public radio, so I would listen to a lot of classical um, radio, you know, WQXR and WBGO, the jazz channel, and they're, they're, they're public, you know, there's by uh, 
public donations. And I never had a thousand dollars a month for them, but I was like, Hey, look, I can give you guys $5 a month. Like I I'm a college student. I'm this, that, but I love your music. And like, here's my piece that I can share, you know, and it's just do what you can, but share. (laughs) Yeah. But see, that's, that is just beautiful because you don't have to be wealthy in life. You don't have to have a lot of money to think about helping other people. Because there's a lot of ways to help other people with your time, with your energy, with your efforts, donating things that you don't need or use anymore. Like you said, a second parachute, third, fourth, like that's, that's just awesome. And if more people are thinking like that, our world's going to be a better place. Okay. Um, If we're thinking more of our neighbors um, instead of our own selves and our own problems, and it doesn't mean that you, we have to take care of ourselves first, right? We do. We got to make sure we're fed, we're clothed, you know, we're safe and all those other things. But once you get beyond all that, you know, I just know personally, um, when I started running marathons for healthcare workers every week, it just changed everything for me. You know, my, my son's in Vermont. I'm cut off from him. My mom's got lymphoma. I can't see her. My brothers are in Sparta. You know, I could see them, but we weren't able to really do anything. So there was just no point. So I'm just like locked in my one bedroom apartment, hanging out with my dog, who's cool. <laughs> She's awesome, but she can really chat with me. And, you know, like, obviously there's no races to run. So yeah, you know, what you're talking about. So your influence of your mom and how you guys shared and, you know, thought of this situation and how you adapted to the situation you were in, it changed how you thought about things as you grew up and how you interact and donate and give so much of yourself to other people and speak at events and try to have impact on other people um, that might be in situations like you were or maybe worse. Um, who knows? Um, but I know that when I made a decision, I'm going to do this. I wasn't sleeping. When I say I wasn't sleeping, I'm not talking about a couple hours. I just wasn't sleeping at all. I was not sleeping. Or if I was, it was an hour or two. And I just was really, I just didn't know what to do. And, I, and what, I, what I mean by that is I wanted to do something so badly for healthcare workers. I know I work in the healthcare industry. So it was just getting to me that I'd hear from them directly how they're just dealing with corpses and they're so depressed and they can't impact anyone. There wasn't any medicine. There wasn't any vaccines. There wasn't really anything they can do other than that when things were at their height of the peak, put people on ventilators. It was, it was a really dark time. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna do something with my running, man. I'm going to run a marathon a week, and I'm going to raise money, and I'm going to deliver food to health frontline healthcare workers. And you know what? It made such a difference. You know, it gave me some purpose. Um, so I know that that's important to you, and it's one of the things I like to talk about the most on this show. Um, it's not just uh, the habits of runners, the habits of triathletes, ultra marathoners. You know, you can't be good at anything in life without discipline and by continuing to do the work over and over again. When you're tired, when you don't want to get up and go swim in the pool, when the heater's broken in the pool and you got to put your wetsuit on, like you're going to bike and it's a windy ass day and you're like, oh, I don't want to go for, you know, there's all the reasons. the one I don't want, that one right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm no fan of the windy bike days either, my friend. So yeah, we're going to find a nice non-windy day to go rock a good bike ride, man. we'll, We'll go do that. But Um, So how you were influenced, you know, how being in a really tough situation 
financially, with food, with resources, having to move around, having a big giant house and comfort to basically having that all taken away from you, okay? That could turn a lot of people bitter, make them insecure, make them not trust other human beings. It would have a tendency to do all of those things. So I wanna know what you personally did, because you were the oldest, right? So, you know, so you are also not only having an influence on yourself, but you're the oldest. You got your siblings also who are probably paying real careful attention to how you're reacting to this stuff. And obviously you're paying attention to your mom, right? Because she's really the only one other than when you guys could sneak away and see your dad before, you know, he was incarcerated. So talk a little bit about that. You know, it's, it's really interesting because people don't value the freedom of choice. Like is it is an extraordinary thing and it's an extraordinary opportunity. And people often also aren't able to see that they have a choice when when situations are hard um, or they're presented with certain things, they may only actually see a negative solution and a negative out, outcome. And a lot of things are hard, but you still have a choice. You know what I mean? Like if if you are in a car accident, you can be traumatized and say, I'm never going to drive again. That's dangerous. Um, and there's, I, I understand where that's coming from, or you can make a choice to come back and become stronger. Same. If you, if you tear your ACL playing sports, you can say I'm done with sports for life. Um, or you can get stronger and be like, I'm coming back stronger, faster and harder. And, and decide to do whatever it takes to get to that point. Um, and not to say that we are in complete control, because we're really not. <laughs> we're really not in control. But we do have choices. And as things got harder and in some sense darker and, and worse, there were still choices. Like there was a choice to cry every day. And I had every reason to cry every day. I was like, my dad wasn't here. My life didn't make sense. I had nothing that the other kids in school had. There were no name brands. I barely had lunch. You know what I mean? Um, and until I changed schools to go to the school that had the free lunch, um, which I was very grateful for. People, people always mock free lunch to scorn. But I'm like, when you don't have food, free lunch is a great thing. And it it doesn't matter what it is either. You're just happy to have food. Um, but really it was, the influence did come heavily from my mom and from my dad. Cause even while he was in prison and before in the years that I did have with him, both of my parents were extraordinarily supportive. And like I said, in the beginning, them giving me the opportunity to try different sports, they also believed in me a thousand percent whatever I wanted to do, whether it made sense or not. Like if I was like, I want to be, you know, a ballet dancing astronaut, they'd be like, you're going to be the first ballet dancing astronaut and we're going to back you a thousand percent. And they were just very, very supportive and encouraging of anything and everything. My athletics, my academics, my involvement in my church in you know, different community groups in the youth theater, like whatever it was, they were super supportive and encouraging um, and helped me to learn how to have the right perspective. You know what I mean? I, I was in the, in the community theater and everyone always wants the lead role, you know, 
And I'm not only did I not ever get the lead role, but Valen Swenson got the lead role in every play for like six years in a row. And I, I could choose to not be in the theater because I never got picked. Um, I also could choose to not be Valen's friend because she's the one who always screwed me out of the lead. Or I could play my role really well and I could be her friend and learn from her. And those are the choices that I made. And that's just that's just what happened with the rest of life, like with the support and encouragement of my of my parents and of some excellent uh, teachers around me that that were there and some very supportive neighbors and some very supportive like um, youth leaders and mentors from our church. It was that I have a choice when when if you don't get into the school that you wanted to get into pick another school and do great there. You know, if, if you can't get the shoes that you want to get, wear the shoes that you have and wear them with confidence, paint them, put ribbons on them, do something to make them fun and special if you want. But you ha- we have a choice to make the most out of things or let them screw us. But it's, but it's our choice. I mean, that's super powerful stuff. Um, they're re- they're really valuable lessons that you learned at a young age. Um, you know, in terms of it's easy to say that person got it because of this. Their mother, their father, they know the gym teacher. It's easy to do that. It's very easy to do that. And many times it is the reason that the person continued to get it. Not one times, but six times. Six times. Or you can take, like an incredibly cerebral approach, which you did at a young age and say, not only, you know, that you were going to like rock, you know, whatever that role was, the secondary role, the third role, whatever it is, you know, it's the role. didn't matter. You took that <laughs> role and said, I'm going to kick ass with this role, but I'm still going to be friends with this person. I'm going to learn from. Her. So, you know, like that's, that's like super heady and you don't find it very often. And I think too much of what goes on today is when we don't get what we're looking for when it doesn't get served up to us. We don't get that softball pitch coming like right down the middle that we can jack out of the park. Nah, this sucks. I don't want this. Fucking grow a set, man. Toughen the hell up and fight for what you want, man. Be a fighter, get in the ring and fight for what you want. And, And like you said, you didn't get the sneakers you want. Hey man, I was middle child. My older brother would get more stuff. And my younger brother got less than me. You know, I'm not saying I didn't get treated fair. My mom did the freaking best she could, man. My mom's a baller. She's a rock star. I mean, I'm so blessed to have been raised by her. Um, but I don't even know how she did it. I don't know how she put us through school, three kids. I have no idea how she came up with the money and paid things off. I mean, and our Christmas tree would have like, you know, the entire room would be filled with gifts. It was absurd. And she would put things on layaway before credit cards exist. This is before credit cards, like layaway. I remember layaway <laughs> very well. JCPenney's. That's, that's what I'm talking about, girl. Two guys, JCPenney's, all the basic stores, but we had every single car, Hot Wheels, Johnny Lightning 500, you know, racing car sets. We had every sports thing on earth every guy kid thing you know that a mom could ever want to give to her sons my mom was really self-conscious about not wanting her boys to be soft because you know my dad god rest his soul he's not with us he wasn't around much i mean he was around but he was working he had a couple of businesses and he was kind of always out there in the periphery he was not 
actively involved in our lives. And, you know, my mom would literally go into debt, pay off every single bit of that debt. Okay. So never, ever biting off more than she could chew the whole year so that we would have these crazy Christmases and have this like spirit, um, that would make us feel like, Hey, we weren't poor or things weren't tight, but we were, I mean, we're absolutely we were poor. Money was incredibly tight. And, you know, she always found a way and you found a way and more people need to figure out how to find a way. Okay. There's no, you don't need to look up no textbook. You need to just say, Hey man, here's what my obstacles are. What am I going to do? Go under the bar, go around the bar. Like what, what do I need to do? What am I weak at? What do I need to get stronger at? What do I need to work at? Try looking in the mirror, Goggin style, and do a little real assessment of yourself and say, I suck at this, okay? I'm too thin-skinned, I'm weak, I need to be stronger, and I fold when the, when the pressure is on. There's way too many people, they just want it served up right down the middle, hit it out of the park, you know? And that's not, that's not real life. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. And, and that's, honestly, that's one of the reasons that I love talking about running and about triathlon and about Ironman, because I am not fast at anything and it's okay. And there are so many people who won't try something either because they, they know they're not fast or they know they're not super strong or they know they're not going to win and they won't even try. And I'm like, you are literally missing out on all of life if that's your attitude. And if you're not, if you're not going to try, um, you know, I'm, I've never won a race and I don't intend to ever win a race because I'm not fast, but that's not why I'm in the sport. I'm in the sport so that I can learn about myself so that I can learn about my teammates so I can have community so that I can grow. I can excel. I can relate to different things and different people in a different way. And I'm like, it's not about winning compared to somebody else. I'm like, winning is great. You know I mean? I am competitive, but I'm just like, you don't have to win. You don't have to be number one. And if a lot more people would give themselves a chance and not say like, I either have to be a sub three hour marathoner or I'm not running at all. I'm like, just why don't you just go run for 10 minutes, see how good you feel. And then just build a little bit on that, <laughs> you know? It's it. Listen, you're you hitting you're hitting on some incredibly important topics because I have a lot of friends who are not marathoners. They love to run track. They run indoor track. They run outdoor track. Still, as you know, grown masters runners, you know, 50, 60, 70, still running indoor, outdoor meets, going to world championships. That's their jam. That's what they want to do. And they feel like all the attention goes to marathon. And I get it. It does. It does. Way more attention is is brought up around the Boston Marathon, the New York Marathon. Big news today that it's going forward, 33,000 field. Um, so we're breaking news here, man. We're reporting on the scene. We got this, people. What do you need to know about the New York Road? runners marathon we got you man me and doc we got we got up to date news if you need anything hit us up we got you um but you you hit on so many things that are important it's not about how far you're going to run it isn't about how fast you're going to run it isn't even about if you can run the whole distance you can run and walk it doesn't make any difference i guarantee you i challenge anybody go sign up 
to run the New York City Marathon, okay? And if you think you will not have more fun if you finish in six hours or seven hours than someone who finishes in two and a half hours or three hours, I got news for you. You're wrong. You're fucking dead wrong because you're out there way longer. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna be involved with more people. You're not moving. I mean, it's like you're in the mix, man. You're in the arena. That's what it's about, man. Don't be afraid to take chances. And screw if somebody else out there thinks you're not a fast runner. Who the hell gives a shit? Why are you letting somebody else dictate what you could be doing? Okay. You can change your own life by signing up. And and the same thing goes in your sport. Your primary sport is try. Okay. It's the same bias that exists in try where it's all slanted and all the pub is around the Ironman. Okay. You're still a badass. If you do a sprint triathlon, you're not any less of a badass. If you do a sprint triathlon or an Olympic distance one, you're a rock star, man. Get out there and swim a mile, bite 25 and run a 10 K. You got all my respect. And if you swim up 300 yards and you know, bike 10 miles and run 5k, you got my respect, but don't Sit on the couch and be like, well, I'm not fast. I'm overweight. I'm old. I'm this. Hey, man, I'm 60. I don't want to hear anything about age. And I don't want to hear about your weight or anything else. You know what? You know how you lose weight? You know how you get more fit? Get involved. Get up off the couch and start doing it, man. You're going too fast. I can't even keep up. I have so many things I want to say. (laughs) Well, we got nothing but time, girl. So no problem, man. Take it. It's, it's, it's just, it's just absolutely the truth. Not to say that you shouldn't push yourself or strive for PRs. Like I, I intend to do more and more PRs, even as I'm getting older, I'm like, I'm 38 years old. And I realize, you know, in terms of athletics or like perfect body physique and like whatever, whatever, I was like, yeah, I'm getting older. My body is changing, but I have, I have so many friends and teammates that are 45, 55, 60 still getting PRs and they're such an extraordinary inspiration. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get some more PRs as I get older. It's harder to get to those PRs. Like I, like, I feel like some seasons a couple years ago, it was just like every race was a PR and it was amazing. And now I'm like, if I get one PR a year, that is like celebration. Um, But at the same time, like you said, it's not always about, the PR and it's not always about the finish line. Finish lines are great. I love finish lines and I love bling, you know? (laughs) Um, But like you said, in all the marathons that I've done, my, my fastest marathon is by far not my favorite. It's hard to say if it's my least favorite because it is still my PR, but if it's not dead last, maybe it's second to last because it was so hard. It was so painful. I couldn't fully enjoy the experience. I didn't get to enjoy the fans. I didn't stop at a single aid station. Who does that in a marathon? And I just blasted through. Um, It didn't even have a good, strong finishing time as far as marathons go in the world. But for me, it was my PR and it caused me to cross the finish line half dead, have to be taken to the medical tent, had a heart rate of 38, was like having convulsions, like going nuts, like really not doing well. And I'm like, I came out and could be like, yeah, that was my PR, but it was unbelievably painful, was injured afterwards, had to go to physical therapy. But my favorite marathons 
were the slowest ones. And one of my favorite of all, not only was one of my slower ones, but was I had the extraordinary privilege and opportunity. And I encourage every single runner, if you have any kind of patience or love in your heart at all, to volunteer with Achilles or CAF. And um, in 2018, I had the privilege to run with uh, a blind Achilles athlete who became a very good friend. And, um, And that was one of the greatest joys of my life and one of the greatest marathon experiences because it wasn't even, it wasn't for me. Like I loved doing marathons for me and to see how fast I could go or who I could meet along the way. I also, I'm a, I'm a chatty runner. One of the reasons I'm not fast and I don't win, but I have met more amazing people mid run than you would ever imagine in your life. But anyways, um, that run was all about him and it was an opportunity to give, to share a marathon experience with someone else who wanted to do a marathon and isn't able to do it independently. And that's a, that's a really special thing. Um, and there's not even like when you're a guide, there's not even a record that like with, uh, with the New York city marathon, there's no record that I even completed the race that day because I was a guide and it's about him and it's about his time and his comfort. Um, and it was slow and it was incredible. And I love also usually like in every marathon I do, I have my name is so big. So the world can know I want everyone on the sideline shouting doc, doc, doc. And that year I didn't like, I made him a big name thing and I I gave it to him and I had mine. And I I thought, you know, for a moment, I was like, well, I I can wear mine too. Like we'll both wear them. And I learned from a wise experienced another guide. And he was like, I don't, He's like, I don't wear my name when I'm guiding him. And I was like, of course, of course not. What what was I thinking? And I didn't have, like, it was just about him. And it was so, it was so special and wonderful. And then we got to, to do it together. But point is, it was slow and it was not about me. And that's my favorite. I love the fact that that's your favorite um, because your fastest one, you know, it's, you can come across the line and end up in a medical tent. I mean, I've got hypothermia and multiple marathons in 2018 Boston, um, had crazy low body temperatures, um, and just didn't even know if I was going to get out of there. You know, I'm trying to con my way out of the medical tent, but they're like, dude, your body temperature is like 94. You're not going anywhere. I'm like, what? I I'm all right. My body temperature always runs low. Look, you're not all right. Like, and I have celiac, so they can't just give me like hot soup broth or other things that they can do for other runners. You know, I would kill for like Campbell's chicken noodle soup broth or like regular, you know, chicken soup. I mean, gluten-free soup is fine. You just need the right stock, the broth, you know, that, and it still tastes great. I can make some really great homemade chicken soup, but trust me, there's none of that going around in the Boston Marathon Medical Tent or New York City. You know, so, you know, I love that you chose that as your favorite, um, because when we're doing something for others or another person versus ourselves, um, it always feels way better, way bigger. And every single time I delivered those meals to those healthcare workers and I couldn't see any of them, they had their masks on and stuff, but they do pose and they do pictures. And, um, one time they sang to me, man, and like 
every time I was having a down day. And it was just like, thank you, Ron. It was like, uh, what's the uh, thing on um, Instagram where, you know, you do the toast and it does the glass back and forth, whatever that, whatever boomerang. that. Yeah, boomerang. So they did a boomerang. And it's like, thank you, Ron. So it just kept saying, thank you, Ron. And they're all there and they had all the food and they were all just so happy. And I was like, I made these people happy. I did this just by going out and running. I would do it anyway. You know, 10 marathons, 10 weeks. And it's like, I got to feel a hundred times better than they did by doing something that I would do anyway. I never would run 10 marathons in 10 weeks, but I would run, you know, a long run every week anyway. So my long run certainly wouldn't be 26 miles every week for sure. But you know what? With all the sacrifice that they were going through and all the trauma they were experiencing, the PTSD and just the exhaustive hours and just sorrow. being beaten to yeah. a pulp, sorrow, just guilt, all of this horrible emotion, it was something I could do that was, I wasn't sleeping. So I wanted to do something. I did something. You did something. You did something for another person. And it is interesting because I just learned that recently. You don't get recorded in the results because someone else um, was just talking on my New York City Marathon page on one of the admins that she was saying, I've run three official, but I also was a guide one year, but that doesn't actually count in the thing. So actually the first time I found that out, I did not know that if you ran as a guy that it wouldn't count. It's, it's totally cool. Um, it just was interesting that it doesn't because you're absolutely right. You're not, it's not your day. It is a day for someone else. And you know, what people don't get is, you know, they worry, don't worry about somebody else judging you. Who cares how fast, who cares about your pace or about anything? It doesn't mean I'm going to, I'm the most competitive friggin' madman you'll ever meet. I never let my son beat me at anything, man. That kid had to beat my ass down at everything when he could actually do it. I remember when he beat me at the Spring Lake five mile race at the Jersey shore, like he got ahead of me around two and a half miles into a five mile race, but he was like right there, you know, a couple strides ahead. And I was just like, Oh man, I'll just roll. I'll roll by him on the final home stretch. And he, we got to the final home stretch, and it was a long one, like Boylston is in Boston, which is one of those long straightaways. And he just like kept opening it up further and further. And I was just like, dude, ran away from me and like destroyed me on the final home stretch. I was so proud of him. I mean, I just can't like. For when you let your kids win, when you let your friends beat you at something, your wife, that's, that's not real, man. You got to earn stuff. And when you earn it, it's worth a thousand times more. So I, I remember, you know, what that felt like, but when you do something for others, man, come on, man, it's, that's what it's all about. It is. That's mm -hmm. it. That's it. So how did you get into triathlon? How did you get there? How did that journey begin for you? When I was studying at NYU, I was working in the at the Cole Sports and Recreation Center, which is the school gym. Um, and I was working with a, uh, a well, I guess he was one of the, the supervisors for the for the whole gym. And he had kind of pulled me aside. Like he saw me in the weight room often. Like sometimes I would work as a spotter and sometimes I would work out. Uh, and he kind of pulled me aside and he was just like, you should, you should be a personal trainer. And, you know, I'm like 20 and I'm like, I always want to learn. And I was like, yeah, of course I should let's go. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and, um, started giving me the unofficial training for, to, to become a personal trainer. And like, I didn't sign up or like pay money for the courses, but like he had done the courses a thousand times over and was going according to some, some book, whatever. Um, and just teaching me 
how to be a personal trainer and how to like train and study for all that. And he would often reference his triathletes. And he's like, well, I've got, I've got triathletes that do XXX or triathletes that get up at four o'clock in the morning and do such or triathletes that, you know, uh, bike for 25 miles and then go for a run. And he just started talking about all his triathletes. I'm not sure. Do you know Scott Willett? I don't. Okay. He, cause he's, he's pretty big in the, in the tri community. Okay. But, um, he is a, a coach for another club and he, uh, so yeah, just kind of pulled me and he just started talking about triathletes and I'm like, I need to do this. Like I love challenge, you know? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be in the Olympics for it, but I was like, that sounds amazing. Three sports all at once, like back to back, sign me up. Um, and then, so a while later, there was a little gap in years because I finished studying and started working and doing different things. And then I was like, I want to, I want to learn about this triathlon. Like I, this is for me and I want to find out what I can and just do it. So I signed up to volunteer for a couple of triathlons, had no idea what a transition was and didn't know there was a thing. I just figured like, I didn't, I didn't even finish thinking. I was like, okay, so you get off off the, out of the pool or out of the swim and then you just get on your bike that's probably next to something parked on something. And then you just go run, you know, like just not thinking about the logistics of anything. And so I volunteered and I was like, and they were like, do you want to be in this, this, this or that? And I was like, well, what's transition? And someone was like, well, that's where you like transition from sport to sport. And I'm like, no way. I'll work in the, <laughs> I'll volunteer in the transition center. Center. <laughs> like, that's all the buzz is, man. It's all going down there. And I also heard that you can help people in transition because they were like, sometimes people need help, you know, whether it's getting their wetsuit off or getting sunscreen on or, you know, just point them in the right direction. People get in there so crazy and so adrenaline, like frenzied that they don't know which way is, you know, the run out. So I was like, I can learn and I can help some athletes. Yes. Um, And then after I volunteered, um, one of the races that I volunteered for was the New York city triathlon and they give you a guaranteed entry to the, like the next year. And I didn't even know that, like I was volunteering just to learn. Like, I just wanted to be like, well, what is triathlon? Like how, what's a, what's a, you guys wear wetsuits? You know, like, I didn't know anything, but Scott Willett said that they were freaking amazing, like machine, like humans. So I just wanted to be like them, but, uh, Yeah. So then I got guaranteed entry and it was like, I have a, I have a spot in the next triathlon. And then I was like, this is, this is valuable. I don't know how valuable it is, but this is valuable. Not everyone has this. I I have to say yes. So I signed up for the following year's New York city triathlon did barely knew how to like swim. Like I could play in the water. Um, and like, I guess technically swim better than like your average kid that probably couldn't swim like a full length of the pool. But after two lengths, I was out of breath and would need to take a pause. That's me. That's that's me at Chelsea Pierce right now. 50 50 meters. And I stop and they look at me. Why is he stopping? I'm like 50 meters. Stop again. You need me to run 60 miles. I got you. Give me to bike 60 miles. 50 meters tops. That's it. Give me the oxygen mask. So go keep going. I'm so sorry, but that's totally me. So yeah. So I was like, I could barely 
swim. And I also, oh, I didn't even have a bike. Like I knew how to ride a bike from my childhood. The last time I was like 14 and like did a like a bike trip. Um, but uh hadn't really ridden one in many years, but I was like, yes, register now. I'm in. And I was like, I'm doing triathlon next year. I was like, I need a team. I need people to do this with. I need teammates. I need camaraderie. I need to learn from them. I need coaches. I need direction. I need help. Help me. So um, I, you know, Googled and I was looking at all the different tri clubs and like reading the bios of all the coaches and being like, where do they meet? When do they meet? How hardcore are they? I was like, I don't want like, Wow, I almost accidentally said the name of another tri club that's ironically named that, but I didn't want to be like the because it, it's also an expression. But I don't want to. I didn't want to be too hardcore, but I also didn't want to be with like lazy people who weren't going to push themselves. Like I didn't want to be with the casual club. I'm not a casual girl. Yeah, you know. So I tried to find a middle of the ground that had like a beginner program, but also had Ironman and coaches that were like, you know, national champions and things like that, but also beginner friendly. And I found Empire Track Club and, um, and I'm, I'm an all or nothing. Like they have like a 12 week beginner program and I belonged in the beginner program. And a lot of people do a beginner program and that's it. They do their sprint or their Olympic and they're one and done. But when I started try, I was like, this is going to be my new lifestyle. This is going to be my new family. I'm about to be with these guys for years, you know, so I was really, really careful in my research on who I was about to, you know, adopt myself into their family. And it, it really has been a love story ever since. And that was six years ago. I think there's so much in there. Um, going all the way back, you volunteered first before you put your feet in the water to do, to do, to do a race. And I think it's just great advice. It's sage advice. I'm so many of us, you know, right away, you know, we want to step to the marathon. We want to step to the Ironman. No, no, you don't start at the, in the deepest end of the pool. You don't go to the longest distance and you got to learn about the sport first. So you did all of that stuff and kudos on all of it, man. You did your research. You checked out clubs. We don't have to name any names, but it would have been funny as hell if you did. We could have edited that shit right out, but it's all good. Now we don't even have to chop it out. Uh, less, it won't cost me as much editing for my rock star producer, Dave, man. He's a badass, but um, it's totally cool. Um, and yeah, you made the choice right in the beginning that you knew this is what you were going to want to do. Um, and I think it's great. Um, and that's the same way people should feel about running or cycling or any new sport. You're going to get involved with ultras. Why? Because I want to run on trails. I want to be outside. I don't care how slow or fast I go, but I want to run outside and be in nature and be more connected. Whatever those choices you make, if you take a long-term approach, I guarantee you it'll work for you. It's work for Doc. It's work for me. Like you have to have a long-term approach. It's not about okay, I'm going to lower my times. Also, no, man, that's a, that's a prescription to get injured. Look, be healthy, be happy, find some good role models. Okay. And say, okay, I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to do the work. And if you do that, and that, what a great way to learn about, uh, learn about transition, because man, that's a shit show in there in a triathlon, man. I mean, people are whipping in these dudes and ladies. I don't even understand. First off, it's insane. I mean, I couldn't go that fast in a boat. 
Okay, in a canoe paddling, I couldn't swim. I had Ginny Loves Try 24 on a couple episodes oh, back. Yeah, yeah. And she's telling me, she's like, yeah, you know, she's like, you know, I'm getting it out of her. You know, I'm like pulling it out of her. Oh, yeah, I'm like 101 for 2.4 miles. And I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? Wait, wait, hold on a second. 101 for two. And she's just like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, uh, bike split. What do we got? She's like, um, yeah, 22 point something miles an hour for 112 miles. And I'm like, and then she's like trying to hate on her marathon because that wasn't as fast. And I was just like, yo, girl, you can't even play that card. Stop, it's not, yeah. stop immediately. Like on a motorcycle and, you know, the run, I could take her out of the run, but the rest of it was just like beat down city. And, but again, that she has a big, big following. She brings great energy and love to the sport. Okay. And she's all about gratitude, man. Yeah. As badass as she is, and she's racing in world championships, she's about spreading love and helping other people find their, find their jam in the sport. And, you know, you put that much thought into all of that before you even picked the club that you were going to roll with. And I think if more people would put more energy into their decision-making, they wouldn't be in and out so much in life and be like, oh, I don't like this dude. I don't like this girl. You know, this isn't my jam. And these people are a psycho. And, you know, like, you know, do a little work, put a little time in. And you know what? You're not going to have to be best friends with everybody, man. That's cool. Right. You don't yeah. have to be. You can be like medium friends. You don't even have to be like good friends. You know, just like whatever. Each other. You can, can we like, do that? Hang. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Doc? Hey, man, how's it going? I was waiting to say what's up, Doc, man, for like the whole show. So, you know, I finally, <laughs> finally got to break it out, man, like an hour and 26 minutes in, but, wow. um, you know, or some somewhere along the lines. But yeah, it's just great. Um, it's, it's a tremendous sport. It requires so much discipline. It requires so much work. Um, but it's remarkably fulfilling. Um, I just remember as bad as I was in the swim, because I started in try in my early 30s. And, you know, it's been 20 almost 30 years since I've done a triathlon. So I'm going to get back and start doing some because after I ran all those marathons for healthcare, I was like bored. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to break my bike out and start riding again. And man, did I, did I enjoy it? Um, and I really am enjoying the riding and the swimming. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I hate the swimming, man. I just hate it. I hate it straight up. It's just straight up hatred. There's no love affair. It's hatred. Um, but you know what? I won't give up on it because I know that 30 years ago I swam 1.2 miles and did half Ironman. So I did, you know, 70.3s and I am built for longer distances. So that's my skill. Um, it's what I'm best at. So I am, you know, geared to do an Ironman, but I got to find a way to get 2.4 miles before that swim cut off without like jumping into a boat or, you know, holding on to somebody's jet ski, man, because if I can pull that off, I feel really good about the rest of it. So, um, but again, not my show, your show. So <laughs> let's talk your favorite Ironman experience, um, favorite Ironman race experience. I think it was Ironman Maryland, right? Yes. Wow. Um, Ironman Maryland was so many things for me, like all the emotions that you've heard of or experienced and all of the ones that you never have heard of or experienced. That's what I experienced. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a lot. It was definitely the, the hardest physical thing that I've ever done. It was emotionally even actually much more hard than the physical, um, just emotionally and mentally like building up and, and leaning into that. And, um, you know, and it like race day is, is great and special, but that whole journey really is 
something. And there's so much to be learned in that other than how much can I take? Um, and um, yeah, so that was that was really something. Race day, you know, I'm, I'm one of the special people who got, you know, got to do Ironman Maryland 2019 with the jellyfish. And so that was, uh, that was a surprise. That was a surprise, but I wouldn't give it back. You know, it was, it was horrible being stung by jellyfish repeatedly while you swim 2.4 miles in chop. You know what I mean? Like that was not, um, pleasant in the sense of like comfort, but there was so much learned in that. Like, even like, you know, just swimming with them, like you have the choice to give up at any point, you can raise your hand and get out over the water and just be like, I don't need this. I didn't sign up for jellyfish. I didn't pay a thousand dollars in China a year to be stung by jellyfish. Or you can be like, this is shaping my whole experience. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get through this, to get to my least favorite part of the Ironman, which is the 112 mile bike ride. And I, I feel similarly about the bike as you feel about the the swim, except I don't use the word hate. I have very intentionally removed that word from my vocabulary. Um, I don't love riding my bike, but I am learning to more and more. And I push myself and focus and say positive things about my bike experiences before I go out because I have to, like, it'll be torment to me if I'm like, Oh, this effing ride. Like I have to be like, we're riding 80 miles tomorrow. It's going to be fun. You're going with your friends. You're going to take your time. You're going to stop at 40 miles and eat your peanut butter sandwich. And then you're going to get back and do the other 40. And when you're done, you're going to feel like a rock star. And it's going to be a great day. You know, like I have to like do this. Um, it's, but- it's mindset. Let me just jump in for one yes, sec. Cause please. people yes. do like, I love to make fun of myself. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. Um, and I've had uh, Leah Jansen on who does mindset coaching and she's done Ironman. She's from Long Island, total badass. And she'll see me write stuff about my swimming. She'll be like, no, man, we got to reframe this conversation. I'm like, you know what? I just like to make fun of myself. Trust me, when I get in that pool, when it comes the time to really start swimming again, and when I signed up for something like you're talking about, you better believe I'm going to have just those same, like, okay, man, you can do hard things. Okay, it was 50 meters two weeks ago. Now we're going for 100 meters, okay? And two weeks from now, we're gonna swim 200 meters straight. And then the way it worked for me, it was like a light bulb went off one day. All of a sudden I could swim 66 laps, which is a mile. Like I just didn't know why or how it happened. It just did. And I just didn't know. So again, back to you, but you know, I think mindset is so important to everybody. So man, I love to say, I also love to acknowledge the fact that in sports in my whole life, I've been blessed to be really good at a lot of different things. Now it didn't always come easily, but I mean, even golf and things, you know, I could be, became really good over time, but swimming is like the one thing that I, is just there to just show me to keep, keep you humble. your humility, humble. Yeah. And just, yeah. I, so I will always make fun of myself for that. Right, so, right. and for the bike, for the bike, I'm going to help you, man. We're going to roll the bike miles and I'm going to bring the big energy and I'm going to help you. We're going to roll. We're going to roll some miles on the bike because that that's okay. going to go down. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Like I always take people like when people because pretty much everyone knows like anyone who's known me for any amount of time in triathlon knows that's not my favorite thing. 
Um, so, but people, people do help me. They're like, let's go ride Bear Mountain or let's go ride this or let's go ride that. And I was like, I will go. You just have to be patient because I am slow, but I appreciate the challenges. I appreciate the support. Um, and I, I want to do it. I just, I need help. I need, you know, that extra motivation in that area. This is, this is a life skill. You have to know, for everybody who listens to my show, everybody who's part of this show, a guest of the show, you got to learn what are, you, what are you really good at in life and what aren't you good at? What do you need to work at? What do, you, what do you need to put more time and energy in? And you need to learn how to raise your hand and say, okay, doc, I'm not good in the swim, but if you come to the pool with me, even though I'm going to swim in my own lane, I'm going to do my own workout, there is something that comes from knowing another person just showed up to Chelsea Piers with me and I get them a guest pass and they're in their own lane and I'm in my own lane, but I know they're there. Or Ginny Loves Try sends me a message. Um, Ron, what happened to the pool workouts we talked about on my pod episode? I don't see any pool posts for you. When, are you going in the pool anytime soon? And it's just like, I love it. I love when people rip me because it just cracks me up, man. I love that anybody would even care. So for you... The bike is more your challenge and your mental thing, but that's what you have to do. You have to say, hey, help me out. Who wants to ride at Harriman? Who wants to ride at Bear Mountain? Man, I'm down. I'm your neighbor. So throw me on the short list. I'm out. I'm ready to go because I'm doing almost all my rides alone. And yeah, I meet people at different points of the ride. If I'm in Central Park, I meet them. If they're coming out of the city and they're crossing over to 9W, I might meet them, you know, on River Road and do a certain segment. I saw that you were riding River Road last weekend on a, at a different time than me. I had just finished and then I came home and I was like, oh, Ron was out there today too. <laughs> See, this next time we're, we're going to work, we're going to work on it. So, okay. so back to you and biking. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that was very challenging. That was a very emotional uh, experience for me on the bike because the biking is, I'm not strong and fast on the bike um, that I had the fear of not making the cutoff. And that kind of anxiety is extremely stressful because you have paid a thousand dollars and trained for a year for a thing. You told all your friends you're doing Ironman and you're a coach. You know what I mean? Like there's a bit of pressure to make it. And, um, and just the emotions of, I, I had, I'm, I'm pretty methodical and have tested out, you know, like all of my century rides, all the hundred mile rides leading up to it checking timing and nutrition and this and recovery, like all these things, like there was a, there was a window that I had to stay within that there was not a lot of room for error. You know, like there wasn't room, there was no time to get a flat tire. There was no time, you know, for different things. And people warned us about the wind, that it's windy, it's a flat course, but it's a windy course. And you, you got to factor that in. Um, and sure enough, that day was indeed windy. Um, and I'm already like, my pace was already, if nothing goes wrong, I've only got a small margin of not, you know what I mean? So I really had to use absolutely everything that I had. Um, and, you know, just kind of fast forwarding a little bit, like I was, I, I broke down 14 times over the course of the 112 miles in like a crying episode on my bike. And sometimes I was crying because I was, I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to make it. My dreams are coming true. This is happening. 
And 15 minutes later, I could be having a breakdown because it was so windy and it hurt so bad that I was like, I'm not going to make it. And what, what then they're not even going to, I was like, if you don't make the cutoff, you can't do the run. And then I I was like, I I was like, I have to be an Ironman today, you know? Um, So 14 times for a variety, you know, and then also some of the times I was just emotional with the amount of support I had from people, from friends in my office who don't know anything about anything, but they know I'm doing something nuts and had like written me cards and left me treats and sent me songs and drew me pictures and all kinds of like the support that I had and, and the people that I was coaching, like all these pre pregame videos and text messages and sentiments of everyone who believed in me a thousand percent, like the support was overwhelming. And, and then I was just like, forget me and forget my Iron Man. I was like, I have to do this for all the people who believe in me. And it was, it was just a hilarious, only now hilarious, like up and down of crying and laughing and like self-talk and like talking to other like slow people in the back being like, are we going to make it? Yeah, we're going to make, you know what I mean? Um, And then, you know, the finish line was extraordinary and beyond anything I've ever imagined in in my life or experienced, you know, like the elation and the red carpet and the lights. And when you're coming in around midnight, there is a massive, massive, like outpouring of love and support. And like people who had seen their families cross before the sunset, go home, eat dinner, have a beer and come back to cheer for those people. And you know, I was shooting for midnight. I ended up coming in around 11 p.m. And um, but it was close enough to midnight that I still had the 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 love. And it was just it was just wild. Like people are cheering for you at that thing. Complete strangers as if you are their child standing on the podium in first place at the Olympics like that kind of love and support and just screaming insanity because they're celebrating what you've done is unbelievable. And for me, once I did cross and I was able to just look back at my own life and the struggles that I've had to overcome physically and the lack that I've had to overcome in terms of with my, with my parents, with, our living situation with emotional trauma and just like so many things and just the poverty and homelessness and like all these things. And there I was on the other side of the finish line with a medal around my neck being, you know, less than 1% of people that, that actually complete a marathon in life and being like, I am, I'm just, I'm a regular girl. You know what I mean? I'm not super strong. I'm not super fast. And I had a very challenging life with a lot of great things mixed in there, but overall a lot of challenges. Um, And here I am. And I was just like, anyone can do this. If Doc Holliday Golden can cross an Ironman finish line, anybody can do it. And then I started getting fed fed up in a good way, like a righteous indignation kind of way with anyone who had any excuse for anything. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to hear excuses from people about anything. And I am going to 
literally quit my job and make it my mission. I had a 14 year career in marketing and I was like, this was great for this season. I am done. It is my mission in life to go into schools and communities and businesses and talk to regular old people who aren't trying anything because they don't know what they have and they don't realize that it just takes a little bit at a time, you know? So I was just like, no, if I can do this, anyone could do this. Like it's different when you hear someone like, and it's wonderful to hear from an Olympian who's been swimming, you know, 20 hours a week since they were five. That is wonderful and incredibly motivating, but it's a different thing to hear from another girl. And honestly, as a, as a woman who, you know, in, in Ironman, I think we're about 20%. The field of women is about 20%. Um, and uh, African-Americans is half of a percent of people are, are, uh, of Ironman finishers are African-American. And I was like, there's kids out here who don't realize that they can have this opportunity. And I'm a regular degular girl. So let's go. What do you want to do? Let's do it. And that's that. <laughs> that's, that's just so amazing. Um, you know, you have a 14 year career in marketing, you're successful, you're doing what you set out to do in like business life and life is comfortable. Life is good. And you get stung by a bunch of jellyfish you you ride the oscilloscope of emotions like you know like this and like this up and down up and down up and down I'm gonna make it I'm not gonna make it I'm make it and you somehow make it and you get to hear you are an Iron Man like I've been to Kona I've never done an Iron Man so I've been to Kona when my friend qualified he was trying for like six years he would be like you know, second in his age group, third in his age group. Every time he would miss by one spot, every time he missed by one spot. And he was like, he worked for FedEx and he could fly in their cargo planes anywhere in the world for like the cost of the tax of a ticket. So he could like fly to New Zealand and do Ironman New Zealand. His best chance to get in was doing Ironmans because he was really great at the long distance. And he finally qualified and it just ended up that that year wasn't good for his family. Just a lot of things were going on in his home life. And I was like, Dude, I told you if you qualified, I was going with you. So I went to Kona. I was there. I swam the course with him. You know, so I swam in the bay. We biked. We didn't go all the way out to Javi, but we biked a lot of the courses so he could see what it was like and feel the wind. And we ran a bunch of the course. But to be out there, just like you described, like there's just no possible way. I don't care how good you are with words, either in the spoken form or in the written form. There's just no way you can capture the true emotion of what it's like. Because I cried so many times on a Leahy Drive, which is where you oh, finish in Hawaii. Yeah. I cried so many times. It was ridiculous, man. I cried my eyes out like a kid watching, like you said, if you saw a guy limping in or a woman limping in and you're seeing people, you know, they're Asian, they're black, they're white, they're red, whatever. It doesn't matter. You just see them in every shape and every size and you just see their eyes and they're coming towards these lights, man. It is just crazy. What a feeling of emotion and power. And just like you said, I think one of the coolest things Peter Chacha started as the former race director of the New York City Marathon is he would reach out to clubs like mine, Central Park Track Club and you know New York Athletic Club and all the running teams around the city and just say, hey guys, this is something that would really mean a lot. If you guys could all come back to greet 
the last finishers of the marathon to be out there. And it was in the beginning, we were one of the only people that were out there. There wasn't a lot of us. Maybe there was 50 or 100 in the beginning, but now it's become a big thing, just like you're describing. And to give that gift to those runners in New York City or to give those gifts to you know you coming across the line in Ironman in Maryland, it's it's just not possible to put into words what it means. It changed your life. And I don't mean just that you finished. I mean, hell, it would change anybody's life to finish an Ironman. It sure as hell is going to change your life more when you're getting stung by jellyfish for 2.4 miles. I would have been the fuck out of there. I would have been like, I, I was like, that's the last thing I could take on. Man, you can throw the wind at me on the bike and you can throw anything you want at me in the run, but you cannot be throwing jellyfish stinging me for 2.4 miles, man. I would have been grabbing onto some raft or boat and been like, oh, well, I guess I'll have to find another one to do. So amazing. But I think even far more amazing and far cooler is, you know, you just take this massive change in your life because you realize if you can do this, you want to share that message and get people thinking about what what they can do with their lives. So take us from there. You make this huge shift in your life and take us from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, and it's, my thing wasn't, oh, I have to get all the kids in the hood to go do Ironmans. You know, it's, I have to go get all the kids in the hood to realize they can be somebody, you know what I mean? That they don't have to, you know, work at the grocery store for their entire life, you know, or they don't have to not go to college because no one in their family went to college or they have to do this or that because that's all that they know. And, and you can, you can work at the grocery store and be a great grocery store worker. Thank you for them. (laughs) However, if that's not what you want to do, then do something else. And I just like, that really is what became my mission. And, uh, and what I started doing just a couple months after, you know, after, after I finished Ironman Maryland, I went to Greece. I took some time. I spent some time in the ocean. I did some good deep dives and, um, I was just quiet and I did some hiking and just slowed down and reflected and started making plans for when I come back in my new season. And then uh, I came back, you know, I spoke to my boss who I had, like I said, been working with the same boss for 14 years. And, uh, you know, at that point we're like family. And I was like, look, and she was one of my number one supporters and, and fans, Lily McCoy. God bless her. Um, she was such a, such an incredible support throughout my whole journey, even to the point of being like, can I come in late to work? I have a long swim on Friday morning. No problem. Do what you got to do. Come in an hour late, come in at two hours late, you know, just get your work done. And having that support throughout my training part of the journey was incredible, but sat down and talked to her and was like, look, this is what I've been thinking about. This is what I've been feeling. And she was like, you have to do this. And I support you a thousand percent. And I was her right-hand woman, you know? So for me to leave was going to create a big hole and issue for her, but she knew it was more important to support my freedom and expansion, growth, whatever, and the possibility of impacting other lives. So, uh, yeah, two months later, I spoke at like a dozen schools and um, just started started that journey and just, you know, if kids, not just kids, if people realize 
their potential. Like it sounds cliche, but it's really just the simple truth. Like if you realize your p- potential or you have even just like a glimpse of hope or support, even if it's from a stranger coming in and saying, look, I had these challenges. This is how I got through them. I'm a human. You're a human. You have challenges. How are you going to get through them? And what are you going to do next? You have choices and you can do a lot more than you realize you can. And I am, I am partial to speaking to like teenagers and young adults and such, but I also realized that like adults also need to be spoken to because there there are people who've been an accountant for 30 years and they're just like, I, you know, I I don't love this. I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm 30 years in and I've, you know, eight more years until I retire. And I'm just like, if you don't love being an accountant, do something that you love. This is your life. You have one life. Time is limited. Do what you love more than, or, or even do what you're curious about more than what you know, or what your comfort zone is. There's no growth in comfort. And that's, that's been one of my, honestly, like that's been one of my struggles about getting faster is that I'm very comfortable. Like I like running 10 minute miles. It's just nice. It's comfortable. I can laugh hard and freely and talk for hours at a 10 minute mile. But if I run at a 10 minute mile, every single time that I run, I'm never going to run at a nine minute mile. You know what I mean? So it's like, you have to challenge yourself and step out of the box and step out of the boat so that you can grow, whether it's athletically or emotionally or in business or in arts or creativity and this and that, like you've got to step out. We all need, we need new challenges in life. Um, Anything gets stale, anything gets old. The best marriage, the best business relationships. We just need, we need to challenge ourselves. That's, that's how we are as humans. So being locked down for a whole year and being stuffed into these square spaces and not being outside and not getting enough sunlight and not interacting with people, which is just how we get oxygen. It's how I live, man. It's, I'm, I'm the one who sets up all the group runs and the group rides and gets people together and takes everyone to brunch because, you know, like I feed off that. Like I want to share my love of life because it's, I don't want to be by myself. It isn't fun. I mean, I'm good being by myself. I'm good at it. I'm okay at it, but I am far better at saying, let's get a group together. Let's do, let's rock a run in Central Park. And then we're all going to brunch and it's happening. Or we're going to do 9W. We're going to ride. We're going to hit the 9W market. We're going to eat. And then we're going to finish up the ride. Or you're going to bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I know if we, if we go. So I got that covered already. But the point is, We all need to be challenging ourselves, whether you're 14 years old, whether you're 50 years old, whether you're maybe going to get divorced, maybe you're going to get, you know, downsized from your business career. You got to find other things. And maybe it isn't a job. Maybe it's learning a new language. Maybe it's learning a new sport. Whatever it is, if you're not trying new things, things aren't going to go well. Got to got to challenge yourself. People have to stop thinking about the fear of a failure and concentrate more on the possibility of success, you know? And that's just like, if, if you just, like you said, switch your mindset to what am I going to learn in this experience? 
uh, and where is it going to take me or what's it going to connect me to rather than what happens if I fail, which then we also have to, and we don't even have time for this, define what is failure, you know, because it's like, is failing not meeting your goal time? How is like, is that what failing is? Is failing not finishing? Well, did you learn anything along the way? You know, like, so it's just really, we are in control of our mindset and we have to, it, it takes work, you know, but yeah, but got choices. We do. We always do. And um, failure is just, that word has way too many negative connotations. So people immediately just don't even want to say it. They don't want to use it in a sentence. Like, I like failing. I'm not afraid to fail. If I'm failing, then that means I'm taking some big ass risks. That means I'm I'm just putting my balls out there and I'm not afraid and I'm going to take chances. And I'm going to say what I'm going to try to do. Okay. And there's plenty of people out there who are not fans of that. And I'm okay with that. If you're the kind of person who, when you put something out there, that's going to put too much pressure on you to perform and you'll fail, then don't do it. I'm not advocating that for anybody else, but me, if I'm going to go after something really huge, I'm the kind of person who says, I'm going to try to do this on this day. It's on. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Sorry. One way or the other, like there's going to be an experience. There's going to be learning. Um, you know, hopefully it's a beautiful, glorious, floral, victorious story, but sometimes it's, I fell off my bike and got road rash. You know what I mean? And then boom, 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 whatever. Exactly. Hey, we don't know how the story is going to be written. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know any of those things. And we sure as hell don't know when we jump in the water from 2.4 miles, there's going to be a fleet of jellyfish ready to sting our asses or that there's going to be like waves ripping over the side of us and salt water is going to be churning in out of your mouth and nostrils. Like that's my worst nightmare. But again, somebody like Ginny, who's really great at swimming, like she might just be like, okay, I'm going to swim faster to get the hell out of this water. And, you know, maybe my bike's going to be a little easier. Or in your case, bike is your you know, least favorite of the three. So we all have our, you know, that's what's cool. I think this is what's so cool as shit about triathlon because, you know, when you go run a marathon, you know, it's 26.2 miles, but you know, you break the race into pieces, but it's one thing you're doing and you need to fuel a certain way and you need to manage your pacing and all the other things. But, you know, you're not doing three very different things. You know, you're not coming out of the water and ripping off a wetsuit and getting to your bike and throwing your shoes on and being like, okay, I got to remember to eat and I got to remember to drink and I got to get X number of stuff down and maybe I got to take some salt tablets. And, you know, and then when I get to the run, I got to keep doing my nutrition because if I don't, it's not going to end well. I'm going to be on the side of the road all cramping up and my muscles are going to be going like rubber bands. And, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's not just physically hard as hell but it's mentally hard as hell. And that's what's super cool about it. So what do you derive more pleasure from? Your own race experience like Marilyn, making it through to the other side, like pushing through all of those crazy ass obstacles and actually getting across the line or helping somebody in Empire Track Club as a coach make it through any type of situation, any type of challenge that they've been through, any kind of race experience they've been through, like what is more rewarding to you? Ooh, that's, that's, that's tough. And I don't, I'm, I'm going to go have to go ahead and have to say, I don't think that's a fair question Okay, because that's like asking someone 
you know, do you, do you like, you know, it's just, they're just so different, but at the same time, so the same, because I didn't feel like my Ironman experience was just for me. And I didn't feel like that finish line was my finish line. You know what I mean? Like I shared that with not just the other people who were there, but the people who had been a part of the whole journey with me, including 14 of my teammates who were also doing it as their first triathlon. Um, And so I'm like, we shared that first time experience together. And then the rest of the teammates who weren't doing it, but were supporting us. So I don't feel like that was my own thing. Um, And also like what I got out of it was so much for like other people that I would speak to in the future. Um, So, So let me reframe. Okay. What's the most rewarding coaching experience you've had? Um, you know, yeah, this, this is again, that's almost like a favorites question, but my favorite thing, and it's not just one experience, it's a repeated experience. I work with a lot of beginners. Um, and that's something that I'm very comfortable with because I'm not super fast and super strong. You know what I mean? But I am very friendly and very relatable and have a lot of experience which really helps a lot of first-time triathletes get comfortable in the sport. Because if you come right in to triathlon and not know anything about anything, and you have someone who's like just wins races all the time and just wants to help you win, but they're not like soft in the places where you need to be soft, it's a little bit hard. So, I mean, one of my greatest treasures and honors is being able like physically and like willing to run with slower athletes and bike with slower athletes um and and swim with people who are just you know scared of the water like and me? help them yes and help them get comfortable with it like that is just one of my greatest joys and honors and and that that goes both in like at practice in our workouts uh, and also on race day and to be able to, to be the one, like I've been to a lot of runs where everyone is, is fast and strong. And like, if you're, if you're going slow, you're, you're left behind. Um, and then it's like, you went to a group run and there's no one who's actually running with you. And I am determined for that not to be the case for anyone. And when I first started empire try, I was, you know, the last girl in the back and there was a coach, Sandra Martinez, and there was also a teammate, Larry Lou, who both of them would always run with me. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be cold and dark. I started in January, you know, so we're out here like doing these like hill repeats and like, you know, different crazy things. Um, and I was just like, most of the people who are doing try in the dead of winter try practice aren't the regular casual people because try season doesn't really start until like March ish. And then people like kind of come back, but the people who are going to weekly workouts in the dead of winter are already on a different level. But I was like, it's a new year. It's a new season. I signed up for the New York city marathon. I'm starting now. I'm not going to wait until March. And, um, and they just always waited for me, you know, like I didn't have a sports watch. I didn't have a watch at all. And like Sandra would let me use her watch. She would run slowly with me. She would ride slowly with me. 
Larry would hang out in the back with me um, uh, until I got faster and stronger. And now that's something that I have that I can share so that when people start and they're already intimidated because it is an intimidating sport, we need to be very proactive about making it a less intimidating sport. But people come in kind of (sighs) like... you know, and to like, they're already like, I, I don't belong here, but I'm going to try this like one time. And if it goes wrong tonight, it's I'm done. But so I love to, to be there for, for the slower athletes and the fearful athletes and the less confident athletes and watch them evolve um, into stronger, faster, and mostly more confident because some of them don't get that much faster They're This is, this is their little base and that's fine. But to see their confidence evolve so that they know there's a place for them in this team and in this sport. That's a treasure for me. Well, a couple of things there. So you're paying it forward because you had two, two, two teammates who stuck around and made you feel important because they waited on you and to be with you so that you wouldn't be out there alone in the cold and the dark. So you paid that forward as a coach you know, you were mindful of that. You were aware of that. And um, making people people feel included is is just such an important thing in the damn world we live in today because um, there's just way too much going on with cancel culture and people just being pushed aside and you're not in this group or you're not in that group or you, you're this group and that group. No, 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 no. Sorry. Okay. You know what? I don't care how slow you swim. I don't care how slow you bike, whatever, run. I'm your coach. I'm here. I'm slow or I'll wait for you or I'm fast and I'll wait for you, but you matter. Okay. So please come and please come back. And to take those kind of people, that's like near and dear to me. Cause as a baseball coach, you know, I played division one college baseball and I coached all my son's travel team. I would always look for those kids that were super shy. I would look for those kids that had no skills. I would look for those kids that couldn't field and couldn't throw. And really whether their mom or dad pushed them to be out there or whatever, I just wanted to find a way to give them confidence. And I did. Um, and it didn't matter if they ever got a hit through the entire season. It didn't matter. I'd put them into pinch run or I'd find some way that they could do something and contribute. And Enjoy it. You know, I made sure that they knew they were valued, okay, and they mattered, um, even if they weren't able to, you know, come through with lots of hits in the clutch or pitch or throw the ball as well as some of their teammates, you know, just, hey, man, you're important. Thanks for coming out. What's going on, man? What's new? What's up? You know, what do you got for me today? What? I don't know, coach. What? Nothing? You got nothing for me? You bring any snacks for me? Like, you know, you got to, you interact with people, man. That's it. So it's great that um, you're trying to break some of those barriers down because triathlon, man, it can be real intimidating because yeah, let me tell you something, man, when you, when one hour and one minute for 2.4 miles, like I can't, it's like mind boggling to me. Like, like I said, I can't swim more than 50 yards right now. That's the truth. And that's, just not just making fun of myself. That is the truth. That's how far I can go. And then when I get to the wall, I'm just like, like, and it's so funny because my resting heart rate's crazy low and I'm so fit for running and biking and I could climb all these hills and, you know, get out of the saddle or just mash the gears or whatever. But man, you put me in that pool and it's like 50 meters is my max. But you know what? The lesson, not only for me, but for anybody listening is if you keep showing up, like Des Linden says, if you keep coming and you keep working at it, 
You know, it's not going to happen overnight. It isn't going to happen by coming to the pool, you know, once a week for like three weeks, you're going to have to keep showing up and you might need to go twice a week. Cause I try to explain to people all the time, everybody wants to take these massive changes, take all these big steps. You know what? It's small steps that start the process. Okay. For me, I get to the pool once a week and that's not you know, I'm not making excuses. It's really hard. It's 30 minutes at a time that the lane reservation works. And it's just not easy. It's a booking system. And unless you're like on there at the exact moment in time, a lot of times you get shot out. So it's not like there's, you know, 30 lanes there and I just don't want to go swim. I mean, it's also not an easy place for me to get to. I live on the Jersey side of the water. I got to go across the river and Chelsea Piers is in a weird spot anyway. There is no easy way to get there. So um, my point is, it's the little things. So if I'm going once a week and I can make that twice a week, that is an enormous difference. And even if that's 30 minutes at a time, it's twice a week versus once a week is enormous. It's crazy how much of a difference that second effort in the pool can make to a little bit more comfort in the stroke, a little more comfortable breathing, maybe a little less hyperventilating and just relaxing. I'm just not good with cold water anyway. So I literally will put a whole, a whole wetsuit on, a full wetsuit on in their pool when the temps are like at 70 or 72. I just can't swim in that cold water. Now, other people that are real swimmers that have swam in high school and college and they're really good swimmers, they like cold water because they can swim faster and they don't get as fatigued. And I'm I'm just not good with the cold. So believe me, anything, running, biking, whatever, cold isn't my thing. You know, it's my kryptonite. So for me, if I got to go full wetsuit, great. I'll throw the full wetsuit on. But, um, you know, that's that's the thing. So you're breaking down the barriers. You're making them feel comfortable. And you're making them feel like, hey, man, you got a home here. You can come hang with us. So huh. so good for you, man. You're welcome. This is this is a community. This is. This, that's, what, that's, what we're, that's what it's all about. I mean, no doubt about it. So um, we covered a lot, but I feel like we could probably talk for at least another hour or two. So, you know, and maybe the next time we'll just have like a whole different set of things we'll cover because I didn't even get to talk to you about your public speaking or whatever. So maybe we should give you, you know, definitely for sure. We can't close out without asking you if there's something really specific we didn't get to that's important to you, top of mind for 2021 or something you want to go back over and that maybe we've covered to this point. But I mean, you've got your whole public speaking thing that you do. Like, is there something that we didn't get to today before we make plans to do another one, you know, that, that we didn't get to that you want to hit before we roll out? I mean, this has been such a joy and I'm, I'm so grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to chat with you and talk to other people. And it's really just been a blessing and uplifting. You know, the one thing that, um, you know, that I, I do want to just kind of remind people, and I, I think I've said it many times throughout the night, is just not to, to limit yourself or think of like, what you would do if you had X, you know what I mean? Like if, if I weren't so overweight, then I would run. Or, um, you know, if I had more money, I would donate to da, da, da. But really like take a minute to evaluate what you do have, not even necessarily in abundance and give from that place. Because even when I first started coaching, I was kind of, and I, I started coaching because I was asked to. I was very new in the sport and didn't know much about anything. Um, and, you know, and was approached by my coach and triathlete 
mentor, Alison Kreiderweiss, the founder of our, our Tri Club. And she talked to me about it and she was like, why don't you start coaching with the, with the beginners? And I was like, I've only been, like, I barely know. And she's like, you just had the same experience that they're having now. And it's very, you're very intimately aware of how, how it feels and what, and what you need. You know what I mean? And you have that much more than what they have. And I just kind of started with that and helping out with the beginner program and then got USA triathlon certified, you know, and then was asked to coach for a run club. And I was like, but, you know, I was like, I was like on my fast days, my pace is like a nine fifteen, And I was like, well, how much, co- how much coaching can I help? And it was just like, there's a whole lot of people that run, you know, anywhere. I was like, 11 minute miles, 12 minute miles, 13 minute miles, 14 minute miles, you know, and um, they deserve to have the t- like love poured in, you know, and experience and companionship and mentorship and all these things. So it's, it was for me, I had to not be like, well, I'm not fast enough or I'm not strong enough or I haven't been running for as many years as so-and-so that doesn't matter. I was like, if, if I like to run between a nine and a 10, I can coach the people who are between a 10 and an 11, you know what I mean? Or what have you. And to just kind of go from that and like whatever area that is in people's lives, just take from what you have and, and share, you know, um, and you'd be really surprised what a difference you can make in somebody's, in somebody's life. Um, with very, very small things that show you're a human and I acknowledge you and I want to help you in the small way that I can. Um, even if that's because I'm just standing right next to you and I'm in that same place. So that is kind of my challenge to, to people is to share from what you have, whether it's athletic, business, financial, emotional. People need people to talk to right now. And that's the other thing also just in kind of a big grandiose thank you. It's very, very refreshing for me to have this conversation because this whole past year has been a lot more of a struggle than I thought it would be. And I I probably imagine that most people say that, but even though I was running and swimming and biking on my own and spent an insane amount of hours on my bike trainer more in this past year than I have in my entire life combined. You know, me and the bike trainer got to be strangely best friends. Um, I I even started enjoying Zwifting. It's wild. Um, And people were like, what? You enjoyed the Zwift? You don't even like to ride your bike outside. I was like, no, but it was the community with Zwift. We, I would meet my teammates at eight o'clock in the morning, every Saturday, we would ride for 90 minutes. I would see them in the little video game world. And that was connection with our community and an opportunity to sweat. And there was no risk factor of being hit by cars, which I have some paranoia about because of being hit by cars. So, um, but it's been, even though I was working out and doing all these things at home, I so deeply miss being with teammates in real life and having conversations about 
what we love, what is hard, what makes us laugh, what makes us cry about our sport. And this has just been very uplifting and encouraging for me um, to like just have such a lovely conversation with you. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you, because it just warms my heart to hear all of that, uh, all those words, and so much resonates with me, and I have no doubt it'll resonate with everybody who listens to the show, um, because, I mean, you've you've done so much um, for someone who's been through so many challenges, and to to come from those difficult circumstances after starting off in such a wonderful place, a lot of people would have cracked. A lot of people would have blamed everything under the sun and just gone in a hundred different directions. And, you know, you've learned so much along every step along the way, you know, from your mom, from your dad, from teachers, from your experiences. And you learn how to just keep going. When you learn the value of choices, you use that word a lot. Um, and I know it's important to you. Um, and it's important to all of us um, because it's how we frame these choices every day in our life. It's our mindset when we look at these things and, and say, am I going to get defeated by this? Am I going to get beaten? Or am I going to figure out a way to overcome and come around the situation? And, you know, the pace you run, it doesn't matter. Um, the pace you swim at, it doesn't matter. The pace you bike at doesn't matter. The facts are, you know, you figured out a way to do all three of those in the worst possible circumstances in Maryland and get across that line and finish. You're working with people that are, you know, new to the sport and it's, it's a really hard sport to break into, man. It's just technology. People have crazy bikes and, you know, they were swimmers in high school and college and, and it's just, it, it's just intimidating. It just is. Um, and everybody has all this tech and gear. And for that new person coming in, if you're helping them, to like put those fears aside and, you know, take that challenge and that risk on. And you are, um, and your coach noticed that. So kudos to her, man. Good for her. Um, because she tapped you right away and, you know, you're making a difference there and with running the same thing. So I'll just tell you me, um, I would like to do some kind of clinic with any of your groups, whether Absolutely. it's running, try whatever I'm down. We'll do a live show. We'll, we'll talk to some people. We'll have some fun. And we'll That'll just do some, do some giveaways um, because we'll, we're getting to the point where we can start doing live stuff in person and be outdoors. And, you know, certainly anybody who's vaccinated knows that they're not at risk. Um, and if people haven't been vaccinated because they can, because they have under, underlying conditions or whatever, then obviously they have to be more cautious. But um, it would be fun. Um, I think everybody listening is going to love your energy and love what your story is all about because you, you shared so many great great things with us tonight. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and bringing it, man. It was awesome. So much fun. Thank you. So we roll out with every show. We tell everybody to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight, peeps. Wow. That episode was just what I needed. It gave me such a jolt of energy and positive vibes after chatting for, I think, close to two hours with Doc. And no doubt we probably could have kept it rolling for at least another hour. So I'm looking forward 
to having further discussions with her down the line. We talked about doing a clinic together, um, getting together, maybe doing some sort of live show and just helping to support the running slash triathlon community uh, together. And I look forward to that. Um, she's such, such an inspirational person and has such positive energy. You can't help but feel good about yourself after interacting with her or being around her. So I have no doubt that this episode is going to resonate with people and really bring some positive inspo to people. And we all can use more of that. So make sure if you're not already, give Doc a follow on Instagram. Please drop a note in the comments on Instagram or Facebook of what parts about this episode moved you the most, or better still, take the time to write a review on Apple Podcasts. We have been getting some amazing reviews of late, and I can't tell you how much of a difference it makes for this show. It helps us get awesome guests like Doc. It brings more people subscribing to the channel and helps us build the positive momentum that we've got going right now. So thank you so much for the people that take the time to take that extra step. It means the world to me. And thank you, Doc, for coming on the show and just sharing your remarkably powerful story with the Run Chats audience. So as I say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, peeps. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>